welcome to the Lost at Home podcast. Here are your hosts, Scott Bear and Jeremiah Johnson. All right, welcome to the Lost at Home podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jeremiah. And my name is Scott, and you are back for episode 113. Prime baby, prime baby, prime baby, prime baby, crime baby, crime baby. Look at him with a gun, baby, shooting all them other fucking babies, baby. Crime baby, not prime baby, 113 babies eating them. Prime numbers, man, I'm gonna be greeting them. Man, I'm sorry, man, I'm just, uh, I'm really... I don't usually freestyle, and that was not freestyling, so I still have not freestyled in the show. Uh, but I'm just excited because uh, was like bad <laughs> slam poetry <laughs> <laughs> about prime numbers. So 113 is a prime number. More important than that, uh, not only is it a prime number episode, which for some reason I like, um, we have uh, somebody we've been really excited to get on it. This was like this happened really fast, so we didn't have a lot of time to announce it or anything. We've done so on the social media and whatnot. Um, but uh, we're going to be seeing him in, in a few days, April 29th, Friday in uh, Burlington at Higher Ground. We're going to be seeing Ralph Garman, who is on the show today from Hollywood Babylon and a bunch of other stuff, of course. And uh, So I'm just really excited. So I had to freestyle a little bit. Yeah, Ralph Garman has been in both of our lives for a while. We're both listeners to Hollywood Babylon. Uh, I, in addition, listen to the Kevin and Bean show on K-Rock. And I mean, if you look at his credits, I think everyone at some point has enjoyed Ralph Garman on some level. Uh, we have Family Guy, the upcoming Yoga Hosers. Uh, he was on the first season of Agent Carter, uh, Ted One and Ted Two, uh, Tusk, Red State, uh, the Hulu show Quick Draw, which I gotta say, I don't I, think a lot of people watch. I but loved that show. I freaking love Quick Draw. I was so because it was like it was soft scripted. And uh, and I just really love the uh, like the main the main actor in that movie uh, that that show. Um, I I loved it. I ate that show up. Anybody who hasn't seen that, it was really funny. It's like soft scripted western old. It, it's fucking hilarious. Anyway, yeah. There's two seasons on Hulu, and I would tell anyone to go watch it. Yeah, there there. It, it's a good fun quick watch. But uh, yeah, he's been at a lot of awesome stuff. Um, and Ralph I mean, Garfield is one of our. Uh, he's- Easily one of our favorite podcasters, radio personalities, voice actors, and just, uh, I don't know, actors in general. Any role he does, whether it's small or big, he just dives right into it, and he's a pleasure to watch. Yeah, so, and honestly, uh, uh, after this, you'll realize he is a pleasure to listen to as well. Not that you haven't already heard him on Hollywood Babylon, most likely. A lot of our podcast listeners probably come to us from uh, that show or are listening to this uh, maybe for the first time because they know Ralph Garman's name. So uh, we're just not going to bury the lead anymore, and without further ado, I would like to uh, introduce to the show Mr. Ralph Garman. Welcome to the show, Ralph Garman. Thanks for having me, boys. Uh, it's definitely a pleasure. We're both huge fans. Uh, personally, I've been listening to Hollywood Babylon since near the beginning. And the uh, the 70 or so episodes I hadn't heard yet, I actually went back and listened to. Wow, uh, yeah. that's a lot I, of I, babble. I really, I really committed. <laughs> Scott, yes, actually, uh, Scott actually got me into the show uh, by starting our podcast. I actually hadn't been listening to podcasts much, and he was all psyched up about uh, all the Kevin Smith stuff out there. Uh, and it wasn't sh- uh, until you know I actually got introduced to Hollywood Babylon through Scott that I started listening to that, and uh, been listening ever since. Pretty awesome stuff. Uh, definitely a, a big uh, uh, inspiration for what we do. That's nice to hear. I, I, I'm sorry to say I haven't heard your podcast because it's. Um, it's hard enough to record mine with Kevin to find the time to do that, let alone wish, listen to other podcasts. But understandable. Uh, I understand you guys are the number one podcast in Vermont. Is that true, or is that a big fat lie? That you <laughs> well, it's, it's a, a <laughs> it's a claim that no one has disputed. <laughs> I see. Fair enough. It's it's uh it's, maybe maybe it's different when you've uh when, when you're on your side of things with um. 
you know, the, maybe you've got people who can actually find a lot of the very specific statistics out, but it's really difficult to figure out who's, how many people are really hitting your show. Uh, we, we've cobbled together enough statistics to where we know we're definitely the top, you know, comedy specific podcast in, in, in the state. So, well, um, congratulations. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a small state, but it's a big win for us. And, uh, it's even a bigger win that we get, uh, somebody from yet, yet another person from the, the Smodco universe. Actually, we've had a few others on and we've certainly been looking forward to this one. Thank you so much. Um, and actually, uh, you know, just to kind of give people a, a little understanding of how we ended up uh, landing you on the show, other than just asking uh, incessantly, is you're actually going to be in our tiny little home state of Vermont uh, at Higher Ground in Burlington this coming Friday, April 29th, for a recording of uh, Hollywood Babylon with Kevin Smith. And um, yeah, uh, just get, and I know we sold. We luckily we got tickets. It sold out in absolutely no time. Um, so we were lucky enough to Scott was lucky enough to be right there the second the the lines opened. So we're really looking forward to that. But just curious. You know, not a whole lot of big stuff comes to Vermont. It's a tiny little state. Just curious what brought you uh, around this way. Well, it's crazy. Kevin said, um, you know, I'm doing a show at the higher ground. I think he's doing his Q&A earlier in the evening. Does that make sense? Or is he it is. just us? I don't know. Yeah, I thought I, so. I have tickets to that as well. So he said, I'm doing a Q&A in Vermont. You want to add a Babylon? And I said, Vermont? Do we have anybody who listens to us in Vermont? <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah, let's give it a shot. So we put it up on sale, and we were stunned at how quickly it sold out. I mean, it's one, it was one of the fastest-selling road shows we've ever done for Babylon. So we are uh, very appreciative of everyone there in Vermont who, who bought tickets and just gives us an excuse to come back sometime soon because it sold out so quick. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's it's basically because you do have a high listenership of podcasts in the state. Uh, I know a lot of people I'm friends with listen to various shows, including yours. Um, even uh, Kevin and the Bean, which is released as a podcast and which you are on on K-Rock. Um, I listen to that as a podcast as well. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I think partially because Kevin's audience is so huge that uh, once I started doing Babylon, a lot of people started picking up on the radio show I do here in Los Angeles. And uh, I know a lot of people who listen to Babel also listen to Kevin and Bean from K-Rock. So it's great. I mean, it's just a, it's another opportunity to provide folks with some free funny. Now, um, speaking of Kevin, uh, I'm just curious, how did your relationship with him get started? And how did that like mold itself into becoming Hollywood Babylon? Well, as I mentioned, you know, I do this morning radio show here in L.A. I've been doing it for about 15 years with two guys named Kevin and Bean. And because we're in Los Angeles, we're lucky enough to land a lot of great guests who will come on to promote their whatevers, you know, their their music or their movies or their TV shows. And so Kevin um, started becoming a frequent guest on the show. He'd come in to promote his films or uh, live appearances, or whatever he had going on. And the minute Kevin and I met, we just hit it off and... I do a segment on the radio show called The Showbiz Beat, where I do just, you know, four or five minutes of the top entertainment news stories. But, of course, I put my own spin on them. And I used to have Kevin sit in when I was doing those because we had such great chemistry together. And we just started making each other laugh and we hit it off. We became friends because we had comic books in common and we were, you know, fellow nerds. So it just started this friendship and we became friends first. And then at some point we said we should work together somehow. We should do something. And at that point, Kevin had sort of retired from movies. He was concentrating mostly on podcasts. And we said, let's take that four or five minute segment I do on the radio show and let's, you know, make it long form. Let's let's extrapolate it out and and be able to do it free form and sort of long form and with our own take, you know, uncensored and let's see what happens. So Kevin said, yeah, let's do it and let's put it up in front of a, an audience. And he had never really done 
podcast in front of a live audience before. So we thought that sounded fun to have live people in the room reacting to what we we're saying and, you know, to hear the laughs if there were any. And we started right away with the very first show in front of about 50 people at this tiny little theater that Kevin was renting out at the time. And that was, I don't know, five and a half years ago. And it's just grown into this monster. I mean, neither one of us saw it coming. It really just was a, an excuse for the two of us to get together once a week and crack each other up. We just liked hanging out and we liked working together. So what became, you know, a strictly audio podcast in front of 50 people, then we started adding, you know, visual elements in front of, you know, 150 people at a new theater. And then we moved to the improv on Melrose, a legitimate comedy club here in LA and started doing it in front of 250 people with video. And it just grew and grew and grew. And now it's sort of a, a live comedy show that we perform for an audience. And then we take the audio from it and put it up as a podcast. So it's almost more of a, of a comedy show than it is a podcast. So it's sort of a hybrid between the two, I guess. Oh, definitely. It's, it's unique in its format. I, I hear other live podcasts. There's a, there's a few out there that are in the like top 100 on iTunes, and they just don't do quite the same thing you guys do. And uh, part of uh, what you said, which actually kind of uh, touched on with me, is that you did this with Kevin because it was like two friends hanging out and just making each other laugh. Um, that's essentially the exact reason why we started podcasting, uh, that in Kevin Smith's Q and a tours where he was, uh, explicitly saying like, everyone should podcast. You should get out with your friends and record something. Uh, I really took that to heart and literally went to my co-host Jer's house here and, uh, said one day, like, we should just do this. Let, let's make one. Why not? Yeah. I didn't care if anybody actually heard it. I just didn't expect anybody to want to listen to two random yokels from Vermont even, you know, talk. We didn't even know what we we're going to talk about at the time, but, um, and I'm actually, uh, I am curious too, cause you touched on your radio background and we've got, uh, we, even those that we, the people we have on our show that have done podcasts and stuff generally come from the movie realm, you know, or certain that side of entertainment. So I'm actually really excited to kind of get somebody who can compare the two worlds of traditional radio broadcasting with podcasting and how do you compare those? What are some specific similarities and differences between those two worlds? Well, I certainly draw on my radio experience uh, for our show. And, I mean, you can hear it uh, even early on. I mean, um, there's, there were a lot of audio elements. And early on, I would start to put what they call, you know, actualities, actual sound bites in the, in the podcast when we were talking about a particular artist from, you know, Tinseltown Stiffs or, or you know, some other comedy element. Um, because I just find it, it, it's production value. You know, the more you add to it, the more you make it sound like a show, I think the better experience it is for the listener. So as the thing grew, we certainly started putting in, you know, jingles for recurring segments and recurring audio bits and, and things that we did over and over again that people immediately sort of connected up with and they were looking forward to hearing those segments. They knew they could count on them each and every week. And that's another element from radio that we added, you know, recurring segments and, and bits that we can revisit and things that become fan favorites. So in a lot of ways, there is a lot of the production elements of radio, of a, like a morning radio show that we incorporate into Babylon. And then because it's live in front of an audience, we can also add visual things, which you can't do in radio. So it's you get you're able to expand it even bigger. Yeah, I, I won't lie here. Um, because of all the heavy lifting you did on that and making it work very well, it, it kind of carried over to our show as well. When Let's we started say making we, it, we ripped we, you off. Yeah, we, we basically did. <laughs> parts. Well, of you'll it, be hearing from our lawyers. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As sure. much as you can rip off the idea of doing segments. Yeah, yeah. But we we did incorporate segments with you know opening jingles and all that. And uh, our show has come to be something where people look forward to hearing certain segments each week and will comment on certain ones more than others. And it uh, it works for us. And I, I see why 
Yeah, it's us. It's fun for us, especially when we go on the road, because people who have listened to the show for a long time, um, they are so familiar with those segments that when they get a chance to finally see the show live in their hometown, it's it's crazy. It's like a, it's like doing a greatest hits rock show. You know, you get out there and if you once you launch into Tinseltown Stiffs or Justin Bieber or something else, people will sing along with the opening jingles to the segments. It's always a kick for us to hear that coming back to us from the audience. We, we did a show in England, in London, at the Hammersmith Apollo Theater in London. It's 3,600 seats, and we sold that out. So we're playing in front of a crowd of almost 4,000 people. And to hear them sing along with, you know, the Justin Bieber theme song or some one of the other segments that we have, it was crazy. I mean, we gave you chills because <laughs> you, you start to recognize the, the scope of something and how, how much people enjoy it and how familiar they are with it. Well, that, uh, I'm curious if you had to actually adapt at all or, you know, when you go back to doing radio because, you you know, you're in a closed set with, you know, just a few people. You can imagine people reacting, but I can't imagine it's quite the same. as probably like being in a studio recording a song versus being out on the road. Uh, is there kind of like a psychological adapt adaptation you have to do or have you just been doing both so long that they kind of feel the same? Um, well, you know, before I started in radio, I was an actor, and so I had done a ton of theater, and I'd done sketch and improv comedy in front of a live audience, so I was familiar with how to work in front of a live audience, and then, of course, 15 years of experience doing radio. It was a bigger um, challenge for me early on when I first started radio because you didn't get any immediate feedback from from an audience. So, you know, you just have to kind of go with your gut, and you hope what you're doing is funny, but you're not really sure until you, you find out after the fact you know somebody tweets you or somebody emails you and says i like that bit you did or that voice you did and so that was a bigger challenge but just you know just sheer repetition you just kind of learn how to how to work in radio without the feedback and you know i work with two guys in the studio and uh, we have a female co-host as well ali mckay and if i can crack them up while i'm doing something i know I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job so again we try to make each other laugh just like kevin and i do when we do babylon well, that's very important. I mean, uh, the audience can definitely tell if the hosts have good chemistry or not, and that matters a lot. Yeah, and I think when you guys talked about you know putting your podcast together and you didn't know if anyone would be interested in, in listening to you, we've found that if you're having a good time doing it, invariably there will be somebody out there who has a good time listening to it, and that really is the key, just to enjoy yourself and talk about something that you find interesting, and that's the magic of podcasting. You'll find somebody out there who cares. Well, yeah, and going going back to even the first episode, we were like, I don't know, do we swear? Do we not swear? And we're like, all right, we're we always swear when we're together. Let's not try to put any kind of barriers on it. It's we kind of can just do whatever the hell we want. So let's just be ourselves on that side of things. Smith and I have said the same thing. I mean, um, obviously he has no no coward when it comes to swearing, and and I'm not either. And it is that's the biggest difference, obviously, between you know terrestrial radio and doing podcasts is that there is no filter. And also, you know, Kevin's out there stoned and I get drunk in the course of the evening and, you know, whatever happens kind of happens and it's a much more relaxed, loose format because we don't have anybody to answer to except for ourselves at the end of the day. And do you feel that there is like more of a freedom now that you've actually, that you know people like your stuff, you can kind of stay and do whatever you want, people are probably going to laugh at it, uh, or do you feel now like there's, like you've got to kind of tighten things up um, and almost, I don't want to say censor yourself, but be a little more careful because you don't want to alienate people and want to make sure to give them what they expect. Well, it's a, it's a balancing act. You certainly want to be true to yourself and do what you want, but at the same time, you are, your main goal is to please an audience, whether you're doing radio or podcasting or movies or television or anything else. So you have to do what you want, but if you get a strong backlash or pushback from a segment that you do or, or a bit that you do, then 
you know, we always take that into account and say, well, people don't really seem to go for that. So let's let's cut that out. And geez, you know, the average Babylon runs 90 minutes, two hours sometimes. So there's plenty of material there that if we have to lose something because it ruffles some feathers or rubs people the wrong way, we certainly have plenty of other stuff we can go to. So nothing is, is that precious that we wouldn't, you know, get rid of it if it if it bugged people or it didn't people didn't respond to it. Right. Now, with your with your very large following and the fact that the show is very hefty on geek culture, um, you must have a lot of, you know, very, uh, we'll say intense fans. When you do these road shows or even the shows at home, have you had any like strange or interesting fan interactions, like anything that really stands out? You know, I can't think of one negative experience I've had with anybody who I've met through Babylon. That's awesome. Um, it has been a, a remarkable, I find it, you know, largely the people that came to Babylon were already fans of Kevin's and you know he's got such an enormous fan base and a lot of people outside of Los Angeles didn't know who I was so it took a bit of a learning curve for people to hear who I was and get my take on stuff and my point of view and as they, as they did and as it grew Kevin's fans just opened their arms and just welcomed me into that that universe so warmly that um you know when i do meet people after a show invariably people will bring gifts or the you know uh, you know they'll show up with copies of uh, the batman green hornet comic book that kevin and i worked on and they would you know they talk about what it meant to them and they ask for you know autographs and things it's just it's such a positive warm experience that i really look forward to meeting people wow that's amazing i'm really yeah. glad to hear that because sometimes you hear horror stories about people having to deal with you know all kinds of, we'll just say riffraff. And... <laughs> I was going to say riffraff as well. Yeah. No, everybody is very, very uh, cool and and uh, friendly. And, you know, if if the the interaction runs its course and, you know, sometimes Kevin's got a tight schedule, he needs to go on his way or I'm on the way out. Everybody is just thankful for the time that we spend together and uh, they're respectful. It's just been just been terrific. Wow, that's great. Um, now, switching gears just a tiny bit here. Um Speaking of your podcast and how it deals with uh, geek culture, the entertainment industry, movies, film, um, the 2016 blockbuster season is gearing up right now, and we're about to get Civil War. Um, yes. As a movie fan, uh, I'll, I'll dare say expert, uh, what's your oh, most please. anticipated movie of this year? Uh, most anticipated movie of this year. I, I got to say Civil War. I mean, you know, there, we live in such a golden age of of geek culture that if you if you you know you throw a stick you hit seven comic book movies and i i watch them all obviously but that this is a story that i that i read in the comics that i had thought was really well done and you know you just start to see as you watch the trailers for this film that the the, the execution of translating it to the screen has just been really sort of painstaking and the russo brothers are directing and i like those guys i i worked with one of them who directed a episode of agent carter that i was in in the first season of that show and I just think, you know, the Marvel machine is just so finely tuned when it comes to creating these things that I, I find myself really anticipating the next Marvel movie as it comes out, even though traditionally I'm more of a DC guy when it comes to comics and stuff. So, um, yeah, I think Civil War. And then I saw the trailer for Doctor Strange, and I was like, damn, that's something I, I need to see, yeah, too. So that, that, that looks, looks pretty amazing. That looks really cool, and I don't think I ever really cared that much for... 
I mean, I had Doctor Strange comics. I don't actually know if I ever really read them much. I know they were kind of weird and out there um, compared to some of the other uh, Marvel Universe stuff. But that just looks really, really, really cool and kind of dark and just really, really interesting. And it, it's kind of like I feel sort of like what Guardians of the Galaxy was where they take a, a gamble every once in a while. I mean, if it's a gamble with they've got bazillions of dollars. But um, it's still a gamble to be like, are people going to really dig this kind of new weird thing that we're doing compared to, you know, just kind of a it's safe to do the Avengers, you know. It's been crazy how well Marvel has taken sort of second, third, fourth tier characters and made them enormously compelling on the screen and made them such a good time at the movies. Even Iron Man at the time was sort of a gamble, certainly wasn't as well known as Spider-Man or Captain America right. or anyone else in the Marvel Universe. So that they have really a pedigree of knowing how to take characters that you may not be that familiar with, but making them just amazing, amazingly come to life on the big screen. And it definitely helps that uh, Disney Marvel is uh, taking a gamble with different writer-director team-ups. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something that Fox Marvel seems to not understand. They keep hanging on the same directors and writers for everything. Yeah, uh, they, they, you know, Kevin Feige, who who you know sort of runs the show there for Marvel Disney, he has just got a great sense of how to match material with people, you know, in terms of writers and directors and and even when it comes to casting, that they just seem to get it right each and every time. And you're right, Fox has had lots of missteps. And I think it's largely because Fox, and to a certain extent, uh, Warners with their DC properties, they're always so desperate to to put their own stamp on these characters and to go outside of the norm of what people expect from these characters versus, versus Marvel Disney seems to give you exactly what you want to see these characters portrayed as, and then they do it in this brilliantly entertaining, energetic fashion that just makes for great blockbuster popcorn movie. You know, absolutely. I couldn't have said that better myself. Now, uh, I wanted to actually switch gears a little bit as well to um, to TV stuff. And you mentioned, you know, that you, I mean, not just you mentioned, but everybody who's listened to you know that you do plenty of voices. And I've always just been kind of uh, fascinated with people who do voiceover work. And uh, you do some stuff for, uh, you know, Family Guy, obviously plenty of uh, voices uh, for your own show. Uh, I'm just kind of curious how that world fits in. I mean, whether it's schedule-wise, uh, you know, crea- creativity-wise, how it fits into the rest of what you're doing. Uh, with podcast and uh, radio? Well, like I mentioned, I primarily started my career as an actor uh, when I got started. So the opportunity for me to do voiceover work, especially with Family Guy or, you know, the few other projects I've done voice stuff for, it's it's a thrill because I get to combine all of the, the talents I've sort of honed over the years which is, you know, I get to perform as an actor, but I'm also using my voice the way I do in podcasting or in radio. And uh, you get to use all of the arrows in your quiver, so to speak. So I love doing Family Guy. I mean, I'm in, you know, every episode now. Seth's been so kind to me. And, um, you know, the few other things I've done, I did a, a, a Justice League video game years ago where I got to play Green Arrow. And um, it's just enormously gratifying because when you are doing voice acting, you really... I mean, the handcuffs come off. You can play any character. You can play a 13-year-old boy or a 97-year-old woman or, you know, you can play different races and nationalities and you can do accents and character voices. And I get to play roles that I would never be able to play in a million years in front of a camera or on stage if I was acting. So I always I find voiceover acting enormously Fine. Well, I was always really uh, fascinated by it too. With uh, I, I watched there was a documentary uh, recently. I think it came on Netflix um, about the world of voice acting. And when you think about it, you think of like, oh, these people. 
it just got to be so fun. You're like a kid in front of a microphone just doing all these voices. But it's amazing how much, like, work it really seems like these people and you, like people like you, put into the voices and, you know, testing this. I remember hearing on that documentary a story about Mel Blanc, of course, uh, people know from Looney Tunes, just about every iconic, uh, you know, early cartoon character from uh, Warner Brothers that you can think of, um, having to do in front of a microphone, uh, I believe it was Daffy Duck doing an impersonation of Bugs Bunny. And so we had to, <laughs> he had to get inside of this, like, meta realm, and people, that's when people, like, looked at it and go, oh, my God, this is, like, this is an art. And, uh, it, and it just seems like it's a lot of work that a lot of people, I think, that don't do it, one, I don't think a lot of people realize that I don't know how many uh, characters you do on the family guy or anything but uh, that you know there's this kind of small pool of people that just do just about a hundred percent of what we hear out there yeah I mean I I dabble in voiceover stuff um, but I work with a ton of creative amazing talents who I mean they just they do it all I mean I, I work with several guys on family guy who uh, do you know a ton of stuff for Marvel and they and other guys work with Warner Brothers and they do all the DC Comics um, um, animated adaptations of their stuff and there is a small pool of talent that that works on in all the realms that works over and over again and these guys make good livings because they're they're so in high in demand if you're really good at it and I'm okay at it but there's some guys who are brilliant at it who can do they could have a conversation of 20 different people and you'd never pick up on it was the same guy. I mean, it's it, even Seth himself. When I watch Seth work in the studio, it's nuts because, you know, people have to realize he's, he's quagmire talking to Peter, who's talking to Brian, who's talking to Stewie <laughs> sometimes in the, in the same scene. And sometimes he'll be in the, in the booth doing it live. And he just switches personality and voices in, in such an effortless way that you watch him and you get kind of, glassy-eyed because you realize you're sort of watching brilliance at work. <laughs> well, you got you touched on it right there. It's a personality. It's more than just a voice. You got to get into the difference between, you know, what how Peter would say something versus how Brian would say something. It's got I feel like it's almost like got to be like a like a psychological issue underlying these amazing voice actors cuz which is great for us, but I'm just wondering what the heck is going on underneath the uh, under the hood there. Now, Jared, yeah, don't call our guests crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, pre- present company excluded, of course. Uh, it is uh, no. There's a schizophrenic quality to anybody who does that kind of stuff because you do, you do tap into and access those parts of your personality that connect up with whatever character you're playing. You know, if you're playing, you know, a, a belligerent you know, asshole who's talking to a mild mannered character and to be able to switch back and forth, you got to be able to find those things in yourself. I mean, not to get too actory about this stuff, but you do have to have a facility with that. You have to be able to tap into it pretty easily because it, you know, time is money and people can't wait around while you center yourself and gaze at your navel and figure out how you're going to do this shit. You just kind of have to produce on the spot. And that's another good thing about doing live radio for so many years is that um, it's largely unscripted and you just kind of are able to, you know, dive in and just come up with stuff on the fly and commit to things and commit to characters and premises and just try to get the most out of it whatever time you're given. All right. Um, I think what we're going to do right now is we're going to switch gears once again. And Ralph, if you don't mind, we're going to do our 10 questions no one's ever asked you before in an interview. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, Jer, would you like to start yeah, and I'll, do the I'll odds? Take, I'll take the odds here. Uh, the first one's just a softball we toss at everybody. Uh, Ghostbusters is my, probably my favorite movie of all time. It's, I think the first yes. movie I ever saw in the theater. Always curious, who's your favorite Ghostbuster? Oh, oh boy, that's a tough one. I, I guess Bankman. I mean, yeah. I guess that's that's the obvious question. I mean, what a great film. What a great comic performance. 
I, it's, just I, it's, it's just it's timeless too, man. I I watch it. I've got to watch it multiple times a year since I was four years old, I think. And I just, God, every time I watch it, I just crack up. I mean, first of all, back off, man. I'm a scientist. Has got to be one of the greatest <laughs> lines ever uttered by anybody, uh, and by Bill Murray, of course, <laughs> makes it better. Yes, and and also, yes, it's true that man has no dick. I mean, come on, that's just that's a great line. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all right. Um, moving on to number two. Um, so many celebrity deaths this year. Like we've lost a lot of people. Um, your Tinseltown Stiff section must be just bursting at the seams even this week. It's uh, it's been insane. I mean, and it just heartbreaking. Like uh, I guess sorry, what like, was that? I said it's more than normal. It feels like at least. I agree. It's just been a cavalcade, uh, just an avalanche of heartbreaking loss after heartbreaking loss, and and major. Major icons and and important character actors that have been with us for so long and have made these beloved characters and it's it's been a nonstop onslaught. It's it's as if something's going on. It's disturbing. And, and to get to the point of the question, who would you like to see go next? I actually wanted to revise this a little bit. I'm curious. This is going to throw a little a uh, little bit of a twist in it that I just was wondering. Uh, not just who you would like to see to go next. Let's say you could make a trade. You could bring somebody back, but somebody had to go. I uh, like that. Yeah. Oh wow. Who do you bring back? Get I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, it's it. I guess it's all a matter of personal taste. For me, Bowie was a deep personal loss because he was one of those artists that I connected up with early on in my life, and it sort of meant a ton to me. I know for some people it was Prince because you know that was the music that they grew up on. But I would I would trade uh, Bowie for any one of the Kardashians in a heartbeat. Just, <laughs> just, just you know, or you know, to take them all down, uh, have the Earth swallow up their their compound there in, in Calabasas, California, or whatever it takes. But I would I would gladly trade a Kardashian for Bowie. Oh, heartbeat. absolutely. Bo Bowie was one of my uh, favorites ever. Uh, I actually got introduced um, for, uh, to Bowie through the power of the movies, through one of my favorite childhood movies, The Labyrinth. Also, my first yeah. uh, huge huge crush on uh, Jennifer Connelly. I was a kid, so it was okay that I had a crush on a fifteen year old at the time. By the way, um, and, uh, yeah. So, but and actually, got to add a little bit of a crush on David Bowie too. Got to got to say, man, his package stole the show the entire time. Like pushing yes, in front of I the mean, camera. Yeah. So I thought he was. I thought he was. You know, smuggling that that crystal ball in his pants. <laughs> he just reaches down his pants and does that ball juggling trick that he does. Like yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Um. Let's go on to number three here. Uh, what is a recent movie that has come out that is in dire need of a porn parody? Oh, Most God. of them have one already, I know. But even if there's a remake of a porn parody, you know, it's anything. Um, a porn parody of a recent movie. Um, <sighs> I'm surprised huh. there isn't a million ways to fuck in the West yet. <laughs> uh, I am too. Um, I mean, that's just perfect. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, Deadpool instead of Deadpool about Ooh. about somebody who likes to jerk off cadavers. <laughs> okay. Oh, you okay. get that little that niche, which is a, a very uh, you know, there's that whole what is it, uh, hot girls with corpses, the necrophilia. Yeah, there's yeah. a whole necrophilia uh, uh, fetish out there. That would that would probably I be think the necrophilia audience is is woefully underserved when it comes to porn. So. There you yeah, go. They Deadpool. only have that one magazine. Was it Girls and Corpses? Girls with yeah, like Hot Girls with Corpses or something like that. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe that's a magazine. Yeah, uh, sure. Well, it probably has a high subscription ship. They're kind of a, they found the niche and they just kind of they conquered a gap in the market, man. That's what you got to find. <laughs> so I think Deadpool is going to be the next filler of that gap in the market. Every pun intended. Um, all right. Yeah, gap in the market sounds like a porn movie in and of itself, doesn't it? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those uh, 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 business. Uh, 
yeah, yeah, like you see it like work where they're gonna show you like one of those like, oh, we got a new business move. We're gonna tell her down like really improve sales gap in the market. Yeah, <laughs> I see your paperwork's all out of order. Here's my dick, and then that's yeah. <laughs> and I think that's about as as deep as a porn movie has to get. Pun intended yes. again. Although I would set it at a supermarket to make gap in the market actually full, you know, come full circle. Oh yeah, involves <laughs> zucchinis and things. <laughs> Perfect. The whole produce section. All right. Scott, you got the next one. Yeah, number four. Uh, do you have an impression that we haven't heard because you've yet to perfect it? Um, I, most would say that my current impressions are not perfected. So, <laughs> it, um, You know, I, I tried for eight years to, to build my uh, Obama, and it just never quite came to fruition. I was never able to really nail it down. So, I think I've um, heard it slip out a couple times on Hollywood Babylon. Yeah, I mean, there's just brief, fleeting moments of uh, of sad attempts at Obama, but that was never one I could really wrap my mouth around. No pun intended. So uh, <laughs> we're still on the porn question, aren't we? Yeah. Yes. So I I tend to leave that one alone for the most part, unless I it, it just begs to be done, and then I'll just try to briefly hit hit it and quit it, as they say, and uh, sort of move on. Well, I guess that, I'm curious, actually, uh, as a part A to that, this isn't the next question, but is there one that you just wish you could do other than that one that there's like a, an impression that's so far out of like your realm of like vocal understanding that you just really wish you could do perfectly? Are you guys familiar with uh, Peter Serafinowicz, the British actor? Uh, he's a comedian actor who uh, you should look him up on YouTube if you don't know his work. He is a brilliant mimic. And he has a whole series that he calls uh, acting class, master acting class with fill in the blank. And he does a series of actors. He does a Kevin Spacey, which is spot on. And Kevin Spacey wouldn't necessarily jump out at you as a distinguishable voice that you could easily nail. But he does a brilliant Spacey. And and when I watch that, I get so jealous. No, this is the guy who was in um, all of uh, Edgar Wright's movies. He was in um, Hot Fuzz and The End of the World and. He's going to be the new tick. If you, if you. Oh, from Guardians you, of the Galaxy as well. Yes, Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, oh, cool. I know exactly who you mean. Yes. So uh, go on YouTube and find his sketch and comedy work from the UK and watch it. And he does a Kevin Spacey, which is remarkable. And you would never, that would never jump out as you. Oh, well, that's a distinguishable voice that I could, that I could, you know, land on. And, it, and when I watch him, I get incredibly envious and say, boy, that would be great if I could pull out a Kevin Spacey as well as he does. I only mentioned The Walking Dead because uh, one of the actors in that show is known for doing impressions as well, and he does an eerie, like, Kevin Spacey that when I heard on a different podcast, I was amazed it wasn't him. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the voices that I do are largely sort of approximations of people's voices, and then I'm able, hopefully, to back it up with some funny angle on it that people seem to enjoy. But, you know, as an impersonator, I, I I am, you know, I'm a C at best. So when I watch people who are really great at it, it's it, it blows my mind to, to say because I know how hard it can be. And when you watch someone just crush, you know, a whole bunch of impressions, it, I I just I'm en- envious of of their talent. All right. Well, uh, so we got that out of the way. Uh, I I I know I I think you're you've got some awesome talent on that side of things. Anyway, I wish I could do oh, half, half the voices that you could do. Um, I I've been trying to, my, forever to work on a Christopher Walken, and it just sounds like everybody's Christopher Walken, hey, like that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. But someday I'll, I'll I'll just work on it for I'll, I'll be missing for a week, and I'll just come back as Christopher Walken one day. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I won't just be able to get yourself. I won't be able to get done. Yeah, a very it's a, it's a very immersive process. Um, so going on to number five here, I'm uh, curious what your 
opinion is of who the most underrated and overrated actors are that are working today. Boy, I know you could get in I trouble mean, here, but you know. Yeah, well, like I like I give a shit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, I, I've, I've heard you. I've heard you say plenty of stuff on Hollywood Babylon. I, you apparently, yeah, you, you do not give a shit, which is great. Because I'm afraid that my my blossoming movie career will go in the toilet if I offend the wrong people. Obviously, um, no. Um, well, there's stars that I don't understand, like people who continually for years have become movie stars, and you say, how is it possible that they're even still working? And um, I mean, Keanu Reeves has to be the, the top of that list for me. I'm dumbfounded when I watch him <laughs> being too. given starring role after starring role in movies. Just any line, it's, one line, I don't quite get. I don't because he's got to fuck John it up. Wick? He's gonna put woe in it, and he's got to fuck it up. Yeah. Well, John Wick was sort of the best case scenario for casting Keanu Reeves because it was mostly action and very yeah. little emoting, very little dialogue. But when you when you put it on his back and he's got to you know bring storyline and, and character development and and believable dialogue readings it's just it's, it's shocking it's shocking that he continues to get work I, i've never understood it um so i would say he's certainly overrated in terms of uh, success and the career yeah. and um underrated well it's just so many great actors who i i will watching anything if i see their name in the credits i'll watch the movie regardless of whether the movie's supposed to be good bad or indifferent and i think Two of my favorite guys. I got to. I got to qualify this. I said I'll give you two. Uh, one is Steve Zahn, who I just find mm, yes. endlessly watchable on everything that he does, and the other one is Sam Rockwell's another guy who I just oh, yeah. adore. He's and awesome. in fact, if it, the two of them teamed up in one of my favorite little scene comedies um, made years ago called Safe Men, about two guys oh, who God, I had the screener to that way back when on VHS. Oh, it's fucking awesome! It was really good. Like, yeah guys who are, who are asked by the mob to, to steal the Stanley Cup and it's just it's a wacky sort of caper movie and the two of them together are just terrific and I just love both those guys and I wish they would uh, have chances to, to be leads more because I, I find them really just endlessly entertaining. Well I'll actually qualify this by uh, the thing that actually got me uh, asking this question was uh, knowing not only that we were going to have you on the show but also just that we were going to go see Kevin Smith and 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 you at, uh, at higher ground um, I decided to start re-watching some of the, the good Kevin Smith movies well all of them I mean all of the Kevin Smith movies just the good ones just the good ones hold on <laughs> I we edit this I will cut that out if you guys say anything <laughs> Um, they're all great, uh, but I uh, specifically was watching Red State and realized that uh, Stephen Root is one of my favorite actors out there, like period. And he, I just feel like he he's in a lot of stuff, but he's really, really underrated. And of course, he was um, in uh, as like the the bumbling Barney Fife like sheriff in Red State, of course. And he's also, yes. of course, about Office Space and a bunch of Mike Judd stuff and voiceover work as well. Um, and that's what actually made me uh, ask this question because it was a movie that not only you were in but that Kevin Smith made that Stephen Root was in. I'm like, man, that guy just needs like more. That guy can do so much good stuff. So, and his endless range, he can play everything from Milton, like you mentioned, in Office Space, <laughs> to you know the, the most serious and dire of characters and it's just he he's just but you're absolutely right he's he's a joy he's a joy yeah uh number six if you could change just one thing about batman versus superman what would it be <laughs> you, you're gonna get these guys you're gonna get them in trouble, trouble you're gonna get dragged through the press again it's fucking just pummeled <laughs> yeah um, here's a hand grenade uh, yeah really i mean what what can i say about that film that i haven't already said um if I can change just one thing, I have to change one thing. Just one. And then the, <sighs> and then the rest stands. Be Batman versus Venom. 
Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy, just one thing. Um, I guess I would recast Lex Luthor. Ah, okay. Okay. I guess uh, that was the most jarring element of that thing. Uh, out of many jarring elements for me was Eisenberg's uh, interpretation of Lex Luthor I found to be um, distracting. Let's just put it that yeah, way. I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'll admit uh, that I have not actually seen Batman vs. Superman uh, yet. Uh, Scott, you have, and you gave me crap for not seeing it on the last uh, podcast. Nonetheless. Um, so, but uh, but I, I actually I, I remember when I, you know, I don't know, 100 years ago when the trailers were first coming out and people were starting mentioning it. I, I thought that was a little weird, although, I again, with some of these movies, sometimes they can surprise you with things you wouldn't expect. So I usually reserve judgment until I see it. So. Yeah, it's, it's all over the place. And I guess he was trying to, you know, again, to go in 180 degrees from what we'd expect Lex Luthor to be. And I guess there's there's some merit in that. But I found it really sort of out of place and distracting and sort of uh, – uh, in a, in a movie that I've, I had a lot of problems with in a lot of different areas, that was one that kept kept. I kept saying, "Oh, come on!" It was like one of those moments every time. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely could have forgiven it a little bit more if at least there was some motivation behind the character. Well, yeah, I mean, look, if if you want a real answer, I would change the screenplay if I could change one thing about that. <laughs> there, that's the answer. <laughs> we 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 we, t- we tore it out of you. Um, after that, I wanted to make sure to give you a softball because I figured like we were just, that was kind of lobbing you a hand hand grenade considering some of the shit you guys have been given for. Uh, well, I couldn't even, get any more shit from my opinion on it, so I, I think we're safe. That's true. That's true. Uh, so I'm just curious, what's your favorite condiment? My favorite condiment. Um, that's a tough one. I'm a big mustard guy. Good, good. I like mustard, uh, cu- standard, mustard like comes yellow up. mustard, or just like all yeah, the different types. Good old, yeah, good old yellow mustard that comes up more often in my life than almost anything else. Yeah, I like I like mustard's a good thing. It's 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 very it's it's not like like everybody gives me crap for not going after ketchup too much. I'm not a big ketchup guy. Mustard, there's so many things you can do with it. There's tons of different types of mustard out there. You can dip things in it. You can put it on anything. Right there with you on that one. I'm a hot sauce guy too. So, um, well, you know, I'm originally from Philadelphia, and Philadelphia's uh, staple food is the soft pretzel. So, yeah, you know, that's right. If you have a soft pretzel, you have to just slather it with some uh, good old-fashioned yellow mustard and just enjoy yourself. So mustard looms large in my life. Nice. All right. uh, Number eight. uh, What was your favorite Halloween costume as a kid? Oh, that's a no-brainer. My my mom made me a handmade Adam West-style Batman costume when I was a kid, and uh, I wore the shit out of that costume. (laughs) I mean, not just Halloweens, but Thursdays or birthdays. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Funerals. Yeah. My first like, communion. Uh, <laughs> there was a reason to put on clothes. That was the first thing I'd grab for in my closet. So uh, it was, uh, you know, in an era before cosplay, when my mom was just sort of watching the show over my shoulder and sketching down notes to to hand sew this costume. It was a it was a thing of beauty, and I I got a lot of good use out of that. Well, that must have made her feel good to see you wearing it, loving it so much. Something that she made for you. A lot of times, you know, parents pick out clothes for their kids. It's not exactly the first thing you go to in your closet. So um, in it that made case, her feel good. It yeah. feel good, but it also Bob. I think it disturbed her because she had to continually sort of let it out and and add to it and <laughs> alt to it because I started wearing it at ten and I didn't stop wearing it until I was in my thirties. So it's just, uh, I think it, after a while she may have regretted the final decision of putting that together for me. There's just like patches sewn to the end, like it's just yeah. Like, you know, the cape had to be lengthened and yeah. the cowl had. To large and you know new gloves had to be made and it was it was constantly a work in progress because i kept outgrowing it 
Well, at some point, it probably made sense when you started perfecting your Adam West uh, impersonation. Like you just had to wear it then at that point. So yeah, I mean, and it was you know it was a go to. I had it I had it at the ready. So uh, all right, uh, we'll get into number nine. This is one we we tend to go to as well, but with just different characters. Do you, are you uh, familiar with the game, if you want to call it that, of fuck, marry, kill? Or we give you a, I am okay. We give you three names, and you gotta you choose which one you fuck, which one you marry, one which one you kill. All right, we got Anne Hathaway, Michelle Pfeiffer, Julie Newmar. The three Catwomen. Cat Actually, there's a fourth Catwoman, but we're not going to bring up Halle Berry's Catwoman. I don't even know what you're talking about. I, I, I deny I, that existence. Yep, Same. exactly. Same. Yeah, it's not canon. Yeah. Um, whoa, that's a tough one. Oh, I would. a new Gotham Catwoman who's like 12, so we're leaving that yeah, one out. So <laughs> I, would, I, would like to, I would like to avoid that if we could. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, boy, fuck, Mary kill. I would... I would kill Anne Hathaway. Take I would fuck Julie Newmar, and I would marry Michelle Pfeiffer. All right, there we go. Very nice. All right, yeah, and it was great. I did. I did the uh, San Diego Comic Con panel for the re- official release of the '60s Batman series on DVD and Blu-ray when they finally got all the legal legal entanglements out of the way, and they were able to release that under last year, year before last, and uh, they did a a panel at comic-con to make the announcement and it was adam and burt ward and julie on stage and i was the moderator and for the first it was my first time meeting julie i'd met adam and burt before adam of course you know many times he's a buddy but julie was the first time i got to meet my boyhood crush i mean literally she was the 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 thing that propelled me through puberty as a child was watching her in that black spandex outfit on that tv show and so I got for the first time I got to meet her and she's, I don't know, well into her 70s now. She's a lovely older woman, but still hot in her way. And I was backstage and I got to meet her and she I said, Ms. Newtmeyer, pleasure to meet you. And I told her what a big fan I was. And she just looked at me and she looked all the way up and all the way down and then back up at my eyes. And she went, meow. And I was like, <laughs> Julie Newmar just hit on me. This is awesome. <laughs> there you go. Oh. Personal. I felt like she really wanted to fuck me. So that made me feel good. That's so got to make that, you feel good. There's a weird, like when you have those childhood crushes, like a, like a timeless attraction that you get, like you, like they could be 90 and triple. You're just like, I, they're still fucking hot or whatever. I was, uh, I, I'm, I'm I a big, her. give me the opportunity. I would just wreck her today <laughs> if I could. Absolutely. <laughs> I would just destroy her. Well, hence, hence the answer in, in, in your thing. There, I was actually, uh, I'm a big horror movie fan and was Googling, um, uh, Googling still sounds dirty anytime you Google somebody, but I was Googling Barbara Steele, who was his old, like, uh, you know, Italian actress who played in, it's kind of like an original sc- Scream Queen and Mario Bava movies and these, uh, like, Black Sunday and stuff like that. And I, I looked at her today, I'm like, I, man, if I met her at, like, a Comic-Con, she came on to me, like, I'd be headed back to our fucking hotel if she wanted to, like, I mean, she's, like, 70 years old, but... Like there was that sexiness still, just because it's timeless. When you grow up and you're just like, I got a crush on you, which just never ends. So, yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I have a weakness for like any female star of any '60s television program, mostly. I mean, I would fuck Barbara Eden. I would fuck Julie Newmar. Barbara Feldon from Get Smart. It was all like a whole string of women in '60s, and I was watching the '60s shows in reruns that I just fell deeply in love with so many of those actresses that I would do in a heartbeat given the opportunity. We're getting a taste of your geriatric sex tape that's going to come out at yes. some point. Yeah. Well, I could be quite the gigolo in some old folks' home someplace. If there was like a, <laughs> a motion picture actress home, I would just go from room to room destroying women. It would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They'd have to bring the hips in and dump trucks. <laughs> Absolutely. There'd be a lot of surgery going on after I was done with them. <laughs> Perfect. 
All right, number 10, the final question. And this is a little bit leading. Um, have you ever been to Vermont before, before I ask this? No, I've never. It's my first trip to your lovely state. Okay, so this is going to be maybe not the best question to ask. Uh, what's your favorite thing about Vermont in 10 words or less? Um, maybe we could do this from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, so yeah. You, you're what not you biased by someone who's been here. Yeah. My favorite thing about Vermont... Um, I love the, I love that it starts with a V. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, it's very few V states. I think Virginia and Vermont are the only ones, in my, to the best of my knowledge. So that's pretty strong. Um, maple syrup jumps to mind, of course. And uh, what else? What else about Vermont? I, I know very little about the state. I, I'm looking I, forward to uh, to, that's to, what to I was experience about. It. Yeah, this was a little bit of digging to see see what you knew about us, or if you actually you know even did like us at all. Can I can I actually ask you the, the, the backup question that we had? Uh, uh, I was thinking of changing it, uh, it, it just because you hadn't been to Vermont yet. So I'm actually curious now uh, if we were to do a follow up later, uh, what you would say after you've been here. The backup question was going to be in ten words or less. Explain what it was like growing up in Philly. Philly is one of my favorite places in the world. I mean, obviously it's my hometown, so it's got a, a big place in my heart. But I go back at least once or twice a year to hang out with friends and to enjoy the the neighborhoods there and to, to catch a, an Eagles game or a Flyers game I'm still a huge Philly sports guy and it's just it's a it's a blue-collar working-class town and with people with a great work ethic and a great sense of humor and I, I carry with me so much of what that city is it, it, still to this day even though I've been gone living out here in Los Angeles for over 20 years so I mean it's just so much of who I am it was because of that city it, it made me it made me who I am, so I still uh, I have an enormous affection for Philadelphia. Well, it's 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 funny because I had, it wasn't until I don't know I guess about five years ago now that I even uh, got to a chance to go to Philly, and it was I play in some bands and uh, we went on like a little mini regional tour, and uh, the last show was actually in Philly. We had never actually been there before, most of us. Um, but Philly does have a, a, a reputation about it, and it's uh, oh, yeah. depending on who you ask, it's a positive. But a lot of it has to do with the sports fans. So everybody just gets this like there's a certain reputation that Philly has. So I expected one thing uh, when I went. It, it was easily the greatest. Like, and I, this is not a suck up thing whatsoever. I can't. I want to go back so bad. Maybe it was just maybe uh, maybe it was just the time or whatever. But it was the best gig we had the entire time. We played New York City and Boston, these places that we had played before. Um, the people were nice. They like we just went out and hung out with people after the show. Like, yeah, let's go hang out in our. You know, we were gonna sleep in a van. You know, like rock star types or whatever. And we just had it was just such a cool city, and I loved seeing it. the people brought us around like they were family. Like we were family, and I expected like the angry Eagles fan punching you for no reason. <laughs> like that's what I expected. The, the sports fan uh, stereotype. It, you know, is I'm not going to say it's not earned because it is, but it's such a it's such a small vocal minority of shitheads mm -hmm. that kind of ruin everyone's uh, opinion and and uh, um, sort of the, their visions of what that town is. It's largely populated with just really salt of the earth, good hearted working class folks, and uh, it's a shame really that more people. Yeah, that most people think of Philly, they think of the assholes that uh, they see, uh, you know, in sporting events and things like that. And even that, it's just largely because. Uh, it, you know, it's it's a big town, but it's also a small town in so many ways, and it's made up of these little neighborhoods. And as I mentioned, it's working class. There's usually not much to do there other than go to your job and watch your sports team. So the passion that is created for sports in that town is a little out of 
perspective. You know, they take it a little bit too seriously, and that's why they often react the way they do because they're so passionate. Because that's that's one of the few things that they really care about in life. So yeah, I mean, it's a shame that uh, that people think of that city that way but at the same time it's cool to, to hear from someone like yourself who went there and was able to experience it firsthand and met some of the good people well and i and that's the other thing i was really surprised about is because it is such a huge city but when you go comparing it to something like new york um and I, I guess it's a, it's closer to like what I, w- I would say when you actually get to the outskirts of boston or something like that like that it wasn't an overwhelming city city it was like a like a bunch of small communities i felt like yeah and, and, and it, it didn't feel that much different than hanging out in in Burlington Vermont which is just like kind of relaxed people are glad you're there and they want to like make sure you know how good their city is and they're just like oh I, I got to show you this you got to go here and there's so much to experience in Philly and I got to go back and actually check the rest out so uh, glad I at least got we got 11 questions in technically I guess but uh, uh, I was glad to get that one in you broke your own rules Yes. Hey, man, we're just fucking rebels over here. At Los you are, podcast. guys. Yeah. You're outlaws. Well, yeah. Hey, I think, that, I think that Philly question was 10 words or less, and I counted at least 107. <laughs> and then you just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, Ralph, uh, that, that wraps up the interview uh, for us. Is there anything else you want to just you know chat about, shout out, anything like that? Uh, just again, to, to any of your listeners from Vermont, thank you so so much on behalf of Kevin and myself for selling us out so quickly at higher ground. It was uh, it was a, a shock and a surprise, and we could not have been more happy to have been uh, sold out so early on. And when the tickets went on sale, we were stunned, and we will we will do our best to to uh, repay the favor by doing the best show we can when we get out there this weekend. I bet we'll love it. I absolutely bet we'll love it. So. Absolutely, can't right. wait. Thank you very much, Ralph. Thank you, boys. It's been fun. All right. Thank you very much again, Ralph Garman, for being on the show. We very much appreciate it. Uh, I got to say, this was a, a highlight for us. There's uh, very few guests out there in the world that we haven't gotten that from day one, we basically said, like, we need to sit down and talk with this person at some point during the run of this show. We had a short list and a lot of it was, you know, podcast based based on our inspirations and stuff like that. Yep. And as you heard from that interview, uh, we gushed about the fact that, uh, the I mean, really the whole Smodco network, really, you know, Kevin Smith's uh, his uh, imprint on the podcast world and whether you like it or not uh, spawning a lot of podcasters um, out there uh, really did inspire us as well including the work of uh, of Ralph and, and Kevin on Hollywood Babylon so it was really awesome to, to get somebody who really inspired us to start and have like a very similar story like let's just talk with your buddy I mean granted his buddy was uh, Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman was also uh, a, a known entity so it's a little different than just two nobodies from Vermont just chatting but we have listeners too so it's it's pretty amazing what you can do out there so absolutely now uh man do we do we have to do the rest of the show at this point like i i kind of feel like i we just spent our wad (laughs) oh yeah no i well i did i i I came at least three times during that uh, interview but i was mostly because i was masturbating um i guess we could do a short portion of a show yeah i say well well here's the thing we might we have a lot of people who might be listening for the first time because of the ralph garman interview and people who come from that network uh we want to let them know that we have some stuff of our own what's not you know that that maybe they'll like so uh i say let's go into web droppings web dropping all right so i i brought a couple of these uh to the show and actually this could have fit technically into a couple of other segments that we had but i realized just for the sake of time and simplicity i'm gonna go ahead and just uh toss these all into web droppings it's anything web droppings they're um, it's an umbrella yeah term segment whatever um you put anything under web droppings right 
uh, as long it's as it's basically the any story that's fallen through the cracks in the web and yeah. hasn't been picked up by say every single giant media source yeah. that's the whole point of our show we like to talk about the smaller things yeah it's really the lost at home podcast is web droppings and then sometimes we talk other things around it but we just decided to give it a segment name um i i came across a couple of things and i i I thought this was actually going to be an awesome or asinine app, AAA, um, but I decided to tuck it into web droppings this week. Uh, finally, you can eat cereal in virtual reality with a dead Egyptian queen. And by that, we mean Cleopatra. You can actually, this is Kellogg's. Kellogg's, for some reason, is deciding to combine eating their cereal, which is good. They got good cereals out there. Um, uh, I, I'm not really a cereal person myself anymore, so I can't necessarily, other than Frosted Flakes or something like that, can't really like rattle off a bite. I'd probably get them wrong. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I think, is General Mills. That was one of my faves. But uh, they decided to combine virtual reality with eating cereal. Isn't that great? I, I don't know if that's great because... No, it's not. It's stupid. Well, well I was going to say, I love the new push for virtual reality, like Oculus, <laughs> the it, PS4 VR. And this is but, Oculus uh, Rift-based. This is something that it, it, it's... Uh, Okay. something that you do through Oculus, yes. Now, now, I would love this if I could go into a testing room and play with it for five minutes. That would be great. No, that's it's But true. I would never in a million years buy it. So on surface level, we this sounds like something I would play with if it were free, handed to me, and short term. Yes, and, and the other thing too is you know damn well this isn't for the fucking breakfast table. This is for stoners who with some money who have an Oculus Rift. Because nobody's getting up in the morning and be like, I'm going to get up 45 minutes early so I can set up my Oculus Rift, get the fucking fucking app loaded so I can eat my cereal with Cleopatra. Well, I don't even know if they had cereal back So you see Cleopatra across from you while you're eating? That's, a, uh, that's what I wasn't sure. That's what it looks like from the from the screen caps that I got because I don't think you're eating as Cleopatra otherwise it's just a hand. But apparently there's even like... <laughs> it's just blackface for your hand. The simplest app in the possible. It's, yeah. just, it's, just, it's just blackface for your hand which is black hand. Uh, yeah, black so, hand which ne- never go full black hand. Yeah, no, never do. Uh, this is... but they, It comes with a virtual spoon. By that I mean a real spoon with virtual reality like sensors held. So <laughs> An electric it, spoon. Yeah, it's an electric spoon, but not so like one that just twirls. that's about as cool as the electric turkey carving knife. Well, okay, first of all, that's fucking cool. Okay, don't don't shit on that. That's great. <laughs> that's, that thing has saved many a, a holiday for me. Like that time when my dad carved up my mom. That was great. <laughs> okay, so what I'd like to see is a psychological test using this where, say, every morning someone's forced to use this for weeks you mean like clockwork orange style where they're like they're they're just just forced to to it yeah okay all right but at some point like the study is to determine at what point do you snap and try to kill virtual cleopatra with your electric spoon (laughs) they're gonna be (laughs) people who fail right away just because like i don't like it where's my turkey carver just try to like chop her up and then there are people who like probably like try to have a good conversation i wonder if like if she can even talk or if she's like and if she does if it's just in egyptian whatever language that was um and so this is like from the 21st Whatever language that was, it wouldn't just be Egyptian. I think, it was a, I think they called it Egyptian. <laughs> Scott, I just didn't want to like offend in case it wasn't, okay? I was just covering my bases and I made myself sound like a fucking dingus. Um, I, 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 okay, this is really interesting. First of all, it's apparently not the first time uh, Kellogg's has dabbled in VR. Um, apparently, they put out boxes of Nutrigrain last year in New Zealand um, that could be worked into a functional VR headset when combined with a smartphone uh, running like a, a specific app. Um, haven't really looked into it, uh, done a lot of research on what exactly that looked like, 
we all know when you think of fun, you think of Nutrigrain, right? So it had to have been <laughs> fucking great. It was probably like the Grand Theft believe- Auto, and you're just doing that shit, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm a Nutrigrain bar, and you ate it, and that was it. I was like, going to say, I can't believe you just said that with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of, like, some other uh, really cool, like, virtual re- – like, other companies that could jump on board when this clearly fucking blows up and takes off of, like, going back in time with Chef Boyardee and, like, uh, Mussolini, just eating fucking ravioli with Mussolini and shit like that. Well, did you uh, did you listen to the, the Harmon Town where Dan Harmon used Oculus to make soup? Yes. Yeah, because you told me about that. It was fucking yeah. – <laughs> He was it's pissed. Like, First of all, he was irritated. He's like, I just want to fucking chop a vegetable. And he, but he tried to like kill somebody with the knife. He tried to kill himself. He tried after to kill about himself. Ten minutes. That's right. He just tried to. He just tried to slice his own wrists. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would be it. You're just the problem is this has a real spoon, like this virtual reality spoon. So you'd think in virtual reality you're killing yourself, but you just jab a spoon in your eye, and you're actually right. dead in real life. So this would actually – I wonder how many people are going to die from this because they're like, I was sick of eating breakfast with Cleopatra. Because seriously, if you like had ten wishes to go back in time, you're like, all right, uh, ten wishes. No, one wish. Go back yeah, in time. What genie do, gives ten do, wishes? <laughs> what, what? Did you watch Aladdin? Just, just a, uh, okay. First of all, I'm not familiar with his work, but I hear it's great. Second, you'd be, that, you'd be that douche who finds the lamp on the beach and the genie comes out. It's like, I'll grant you three wishes. And you're like, no, no, ten. Yeah, ten, ten or nothing, bitch. Ten. And he's like, fuck, okay, whatever. I just, will kick you into the ocean. God damn it. Why do I land on the Jersey Shore all the time? Yeah. You will have to compete with the meanest crabs you've ever seen. <laughs> They're going to want to make a home in your home. Yeah, well, hey. Tell you what, I already got crabs. Hey, and the okay, Kellogg's was that the I, I, was that the genie? The well, the genie. I mean, he's been around the block, man. And he has a Jersey accent. <laughs> well, he was laying. I, I assumed he was on the Jersey Shore. Fair enough. And you get that's how you get accents, by the way. You yeah. you stand on someone's beach. <laughs> okay, maybe I haven't seen Aladdin. Okay, you called me out on it. I, I, I'll admit, I haven't seen Aladdin. I thought that's how it all worked. Uh, I just wish that was true. Like, anytime you're on a foreign beach, you pick up the accent just by touching the sand. Yeah. Like, it's a weird property of sand. That, that's like a really weird movie we could pitch to somebody and probably never get made. That's okay. I was just wondering where, like, who in their fucking right mind would use their, like, one like, go-back-in-time wish. Be like, if you had one chance to go back in time. I'm like, well, I don't know, kill Hitler or eat some fucking cinnamon toast crunch with some dead bitch. I don't know. <laughs> like, and somebody's like, oh, I'm going to have to go with Kellogg's. I know. I think Cinnamon Toast Crunch, again, I think that's General Mills. I don't want to piss off the cereal enthusiasts out there. But uh, uh, but, but then again, one of those two things would have a less detrimental effect on the timeline. The eating the, cereal with a random person. Yeah, because no it's not how like much someone says we should kill Hitler when you go back in time. That would uh, really – you would come back to a totally different world. It could the be better. The entire earth would be different because all of those millions of people he killed would now still be alive and would have reproduced and they all – I don't know. The world well, would be crazy Not only that, different. but just imagine like by that you could assume that also maybe you killed him before World War II even started. So before you got up to his crazy Hitler shenanigans. Oh, you always kill baby Hitler. You kill baby Hitler, which is terrible too because you're like, I don't know. Did I go back to a different reality when baby Hitler wasn't going to be bad? Did I go back to a parallel universe or whatever? But the uh, but let's just assume you're going to kill the Hitler that becomes the Hitler that we know is the Hitler, right? The bad Hitler, the, the bad one. And, uh, as, and As opposed to all those good Hitler in history parallel universes man there's 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 a there's a hitler version of ourselves in a in a parallel universe where we were the hitler you know that right there's infinite numbers of parallel universes fucking read you neil degrasse tyson all right i'd like to think it's a actually a a a charlie chaplin 
version of myself, not a Hitler version of myself. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Uh, so you on just... sight, easily confused. <laughs> uh, that that's true. Just <laughs> which one do I shoot? Not the Charlie Chaplin, Scott. <laughs> that's got to be a comedy skit someday with Charlie Chaplin and Hitler standing next to each other, <laughs> and they're dressed the same, and they're like, I don't know which one to shoot. Oh yeah, like it, like they, the, unfortunately, the time traveler that chose that fucking wish to go back in time wasn't really that savvy. They're just like, yeah. I don't know, man. Like they just thought it would be the right thing to say. Like I'm gonna go back in time to kill Hitler. Like your wish has been granted, and he shows up and he's standing next to Charlie Chaplin, like, oh fuck, I don't know my history. I don't know which one's which. Little mustache guy, which one do I shoot? Like, and, definitely and not to me. Yeah, yeah, you're dumb enough not to even know the German accent, like <laughs> op- opposed to Charlie Chaplin, who was just silent apparently, yeah. from what I know. Uh, he, he just opens his mouth and nothing comes nothing out. Nothing comes out, and he tips his little uh, uh, cap, his little. What and it? you look at him with a gun shakily in your hand. You're like, that's not very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> saying nothing doesn't convince me. <laughs> you didn't say, no, I'm not Hitler. So, boom. Yeah. Fuck you. And then you come back to a universe where, oh, like, Charlie Chaplin has never existed. Comedy doesn't exist. And only Hitler has happened. And for some reason. Uh, oh, but- so we, we rid the world of humor and allow the humorless Germans to win. Yes. Yeah, somehow not by, wow. by, by so killing... So get into negative humor territory. Yeah, by somehow by killing Charlie Chaplin, it, it fucks up the whole timeline and Hitler doesn't <laughs> die because people are too... Like the USO shows, which I don't even know if they existed back then, like were no fun because like there was no humor in them. So they're like, you could never really bring, like really uplift the troops to get them to be like, yeah, let's go kill Hitler. So we, it just like there were, the morale was fucking low and World War II was lost. Uh, by the good people and the axis of evil won and now we c- you come back to a life and you're like oh shit man I guess we should have educated and that's why we need to spend more money in education ladies and gentlemen we just got political you know I would like to think if we get to a point in society where we're smart enough and advanced enough to create actual time travel that it wouldn't be just like alright time to get in it and go shoot a guy in the face <laughs> it'd be a little more nuanced <laughs> like it'd almost be like tic-tac-toe like go back to 1930 move this salt shaker three inches to the right go to 1937 shoot this bird out of a tree well, you- go to 1941 empty this gas tank of, from this car and the combination of those three no Hitler. So, so like it's like, it's like a very clever, like an, nuanced it, approach. It's like because like if you figure if you're that nuanced, you have that much science to build a time machine and just completely fuck up space and time that you would at least have the the capacity and the computational power to get these algorithms in place to be like, all right, uh, let's just run all these weird tests and move a salt shaker to the left three yeah. inches, and then like uh, Hitler like. Actually not, gets it, his it, salt and like shoot like puts it on his uh, on his toast in the morning because that's a Hitler thing that he does. Uh, <laughs> fucking and Hitler and his toast. Him and his toast and his salt and toast. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm happy now. Yes. And then like his the like the the Jewish uh, um, uh, housekeeper that he has is like, because I put that there, Mister Hitler. Like, ah, so it's good. The Jews are good. And then like, boom, that's it. Like yeah. fucking everything's great. But no, like that one morning he didn't get his fucking salt on his toast and he's all pissed. And then he's like, oh, it snows. Uh, that's that's a really bad German accent. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, you want to move on? Want to move on? I would love to. Let's go uh, on to uh, our second web dropping. Yeah, this one um is interesting. Um, it's it's more visual. I just wanted to bring it up briefly so people will Google it because it's fucking hilarious if you Google this. Um, apparently the uh the the Japanese have been taking on this new style of dog grooming. Where you just groom your dog into a cube. 
it it looks like the dogs are real life Minecraft characters. They, they, that's exactly it. No, they're fucking Minecraft looking dogs. You just I there's not much to say about this except for it's hilarious if you look at it and you can't not laugh if you're scrolling down the page and you see this this poor poodle is just like I I used to be a fucking wolf. I used you to be a say, fucking wolf. You just say poor, but do you think they know? Do you think they care? Do you they, think they have oh, any? you kidding? They walked by a mirror one time and they're like, "Really? I came from a wolf. I used to fucking just like be free in the prairie, and I used to eat caribou. I don't know much about wolves. I'm guessing this is okay. I know about as much about wolves as I do about Hitler, but that, that's what wolves used to do. And then they were bred throughout the time. They're like, okay, now we're domesticated, and hey, you feed us, and you pick up our shit. That's great." You know, where they're living like a sweet Kardashian lifestyle where you just fucking pamper them. But then they're like, now we're going to make you into a square. No, not even a square, a cube. And then, like, that's where it's – this is where the dog uh, uprising is going to happen, uh, fucking Rick and Morty style. This is this is what's going to actually occur uh, because we decided to start, like, just having fun with them and shaping them into cubes. Now, I have to ask you, because you picked this story yourself, um, did you notice within the story that Ralph Garman is one of the tweets actually highlighted? I absolutely did, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, from Ralph Garman. Holy shit, Ralph you're Garman, right! <laughs> dog cube, scientific proof that the Japanese have too much goddamn time on their hands. No, I, I read I read the... Okay, first of all, I read the tweet. This is amazing serendipity. Uh this it is, really is. Because, no, because I read that tweet, but I didn't even pay attention to the fact, like, because, yeah, who, who reads, like, who, who tweets about, like, this stuff? So I, I read the tweet itself. Who reads the articles they put in the show notes? Who? Okay, no, who? no. The, the name? Okay, okay. I just assumed it was random trolls and stuff like that. I have no idea. That was amazing. I wish I could cut this to make it sound like I totally did. I guess I could just stop when I said, yes, Scott, yes, I do know. Um, no. Okay. All right. Ralph Garman uh, was aware of this. Too bad we didn't bring it up in the... Uh, uh, well, we're bringing it up now. So um, too, too, too bad doesn't someone doesn't read their stories. <laughs> I read the story. I just reported on the whole thing, really, uh, really precisely. I gotta say that was hilarious. Um, I'm glad you noticed it uh, uh, just now and decided to not notice it earlier and maybe give me a heads up or anything like that. Sorry, I just yeah. you, you picked the stories. I felt like you had this whole train coming into the station on time, because just it, like the Nazis. Because, because, it, <laughs> because it seemed like that would be like why it'd be like, and that's how we do full circle to Ralph Garman. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Lost Home Podcast. It's too bad because I felt you, you also pointed out a connection between the song that we're going to go out on later, which I'll, I'll, I'll mention in a bit. Um, and so, Ralph Garman. And Ralph Garman. So we've somehow made this uh, so Ralph Garman-centric. Well, I mean, but it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a Ralph Garman show. Um, and it was because we interviewed him for 50 minutes. And now it's more. Uh, so now I'm wondering, can we can, can, can the listeners draw a parallel between the first story I told and, and Ralph Garman so we can make this actually seem like we intentionally made every single story about Ralph Garman? Well, last week, I believe, or the week before at Hollywood Babylon, they talked about the passing of the guy who did the Lucky Charms voice. That's true. I, I heard that one. Yes. And that is a serial, serial-related story. That's true. But That's um, true. you have one last thing in the show notes. I don't see any possible connection to Ralph Garman within this last part of the show notes. <laughs> and you don't... also didn't give me... The show notes on this, just a title. Well, so I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to see what I'm getting into. Well, okay, because these are okay. Um, I, I thought we might just need some show filler, but I'm gonna still tell them anyway. <clears throat> um, uh, I was at I was at work, and I don't know. I, I, at some point during a meeting, I said like some stupid joke. Uh, some of my jokes land, some don't. You know, um, and, and this one just didn't. 
it's not that it didn't land. It's just that it, it kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. So I decided, like, when all else fails, you go back to some self-deprecating humor because everybody's like, ha-ha, now you're making fun of yourself. It's a way to, to, to save yourself and all that. So I decided, like, to, to tell a, an emo knock-knock joke, and that turned into me making about eight or nine of them anyway. Um, the reason I didn't post them for you is because you're supposed to be the other side. You're supposed to do the who's there, right? So, okay, okay. So uh, so let's just do these. These are emo knock-knock jokes written by me uh, when I was uh, getting paid my a nice wage at my job and uh, not doing the, the work I was supposed to do. Um, uh, so, okay. Uh, knock-knock. Who's there? Nobody. I'm a fucking nobody. Uh, okay, number two. Nobody. I'm a fucking nobody. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Stop that. <laughs> uh, okay, now the rest of them, you do the rest. Of, okay, knock-knock. Who's there? Love. Love who? I don't know, but certainly not me. No one will ever love me. Okay. Uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Potato. Potato who? My parents just died. Uh, knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Dozen. Dozen who? Doesn't anyone else feel the sting of life's cruel barbs like I do? Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Janet. Janet who? I wish I could forget Janet too. Cruelty embodied, but she tore my soul to pieces when she left me. She wore my still heart's blood red as her cherry lipstick. That's something I'll never forget. Knock, knock. Who's there? Avenue. Avenue who? Avenue broken my goddamn heart enough, Janet. Please stop texting me. Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Lettuce. Lettuce who? Just please just leave me alone. And those are uh, those are my emo <laughs> knock knock jokes. Uh, emo knock knock. <laughs> emo knock knock jokes. Uh, people who who have heard the show before know I have a fascination, a possible obsession with emo, um, in both a I pretend to hate it so I can listen to it and love it kind of way. Uh, there's just something uh, beautiful about emo. Uh, so that's it. That's it. Um, that's that it for makes me. for a great show. Uh, I cannot believe once again that we had Ralph Garman from. Uh, the Kevin and Bean Show and Hollywood Babylon yeah, and be seeing them. a uh, multitude awesome. of things, yeah. including Higher Ground this coming Friday in Vermont. Uh, sold out show. If you live in Burlington and you're listening to this, sorry. Uh, there might be a ticket or two left for the, the Kevin Smith Q&A that precedes it. Yeah. And you could uh, spend like higherground.com to find out. Or you could spend way too much money on uh, Craigslist or something to get uh, extra tickets. Um, probably worth it because I, I can't imagine it's going to like pop around. I mean, granted, not that he's too far away when he's in like his hometown area but you know generally from la to to uh vermont it's not exactly a yep. hop skip and a jump and um, next week we will report back on our show and uh let you know how it went yeah and i'm sure probably earlier than that on social media we'll be blowing it up about how excited we are and all that kind of stuff uh so we really hope you like listening to us um you can find me jeremiah at sonic jalopy on instagram and on twitter uh, you can find me at the Lost at Home, the official Lost at Home uh, Twitter account, as well as Legend Tripper with an underscore in the middle on Instagram. And you can find this show on Facebook at the Lost at Home Podcast. And you can go to lostatomepodcast.com for our website. Uh, click on the store link at the top of the page, and you can go to our store where you can buy T-shirts and other paraphernalia and fun stuff to wear and express your love for the show. Uh, besides that, Jared, this week we're going to go out on a Torpedo Rodeo song, which is your band. Yes, this is a, a, a defunct band now because our, uh, not a funk band, but a defunct band that uh, I was in for quite a while. My favorite band I've, I've ever been in uh, or, you know, a guitar player decided to go out to, to the California area uh and do his thing but um a lot of fun but we were able to actually bring this back around to ralph garman because you uh pointed out 
this is uh, this is gonna be we're gonna be playing Oscar Man from the album versus Sharktopus, which you can find on Spotify. Look up Torpedo Rodeo um, on there and, and check that out. But uh, you mentioned there was a link between Sharktopus and and Ralph Garman. Absolutely, Ralph Garman was in Sharktopus the movie, which is amazing. I have the Blu-ray of it sitting on a shelf not too far from where I'm sitting right now. And Ralph played a uh, boat-bound radio DJ. Big stretch for him. And uh, he was actually the character within the movie to name Sharktopus before his uh, demise. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, we came out with uh, the name for the Sharktopus album versus Sharktopus before the movie Sharktopus was ever out there. So we thought we were being clever. And unfortunately, Roger Corman's uh, versus Sharktopus uh, came out on the the network before we actually released our album, so we sounded like we were kind of ripping them off. Uh, but anyway, regardless, enjoy Oscar Man from Versus Sharktopus by my band from the days of old, Torpedo Rodeo. <laughs> Don't play. 